Hello again, and welcome to My Life in the Movies. As always, I'm your gracious host, Charles Romero. So, I'm going to get something out of the way before we get started here. And that's the title of this week's podcast episode. Because I bet some of you are wondering, what the hell is the Wisconsin Weed Whacker Massacre? Is that a movie? And yes, there are some pretty bad titles out there. And some pretty bad movies that go along with those titles. But primarily, the title of this podcast is meant as a parody. A parody of a particular movie. And I bet some of you will know what that movie is. But I'm going to give you a while to digest all this information, take it in, and think about it. And while you're doing that, I'm going to talk a little bit about why I got this title, where it came from. It was basically inspired by that movie in questioning. And from that idea, I got lots of vivid thoughts. When I was in my late teen years, I worked for a a farmer as a hired hand, and I did a lot of odd jobs for him, like cleaning the barn, feeding the cows. I never actually milked the cows. I never actually did any field work. But as I said, I did a lot of other odd jobs. And one of those odd jobs was trimming. And while I was trimming, I would just think. It was as if some sort of music were playing. And all these images would go through my mind. Images of someone committing murder with a weed trimmer. They were violent images. Not the type of killing real people like serial killers have, but the type for stories. And one day I came up with a story. It was a short story, actually, five pages, ten pages long. I wrote it several times. This story has some personal things in it. So I never actually decided to publish it because it was just way too dark. Not just for my readers, but for me. Mostly because there were a lot of things going on with my family at the time. One of those things was that my mom was having issues with her mother. And they were no longer talking. Now, she just recently died. May she rest in peace. And my mom and her never made up. It was a really sad thing, actually. And I wasn't just having issues with that. I was also having issues with my father, with my siblings. And I was just feeling isolated and separated from them. And I felt excluded at the same time, too. So in the story... 
a girl is working for her her neighbor trimming his lawn when she gets this thought in her mind to go home and kill her family their thoughts of hatred anger and pure disgust so she takes the trimmer she puts it in her truck drives home and the first thing she does is confront her father a father who is verbally abusive who doesn't treat her with respect and he just degrades her so on confronting him she takes a weed whacker and slams it hard into his knee. And there's a sickening thwack. A bone crushing. How would I say this? A, I guess the uh, bones just shattered. Because obviously that would be what comes out of the impact. And her father falls to his knees. And after that, she finishes the job. But I never say how she finishes the job because it's just too much. I felt that it couldn't go on any further than that. But I give my readers enough to know. And from there, she goes to her sister's room. Her sister is listening to music when she overtakes her sister by surprise, knocks her out, ties her to a chair, and then takes pliers. And as her sister is there in shock, she t grabs her tongues, her excuse me, her tongue with the tip of those pliers and pulls it, yanks it. Her sister has a nasty mouth. So she's getting her vengeance on her. By getting her tongue. Now I never say how this ends either. But obviously all the characters die. And the last character she confronts is her mother. And her mother knows what she did. And she's very sad. And she cries. She weeps. But from the main character's perspective there is no mercy no love, no compassion. All of it's gone. So with that, she takes her mother's life and watches her as she dies in a pool of blood. Now some may think this is a very vicious story. And it's true, it is a very vicious story. But do people do some very vicious things? And now that I told you this story, I hope that you guessed the title of the story I'm referring to or making reference to it. So here goes. Now, it's not the Twilight Zone. The Twilight Zone wasn't as vicious. It is none other than the notorious Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And for modern audiences, I'm not talking about the one from the 
2000s. I'm talking about the one from the 1970s. Now, I did see both versions. The one from the 70s and the one with Jessica Biel and Arlie Emery. Now, the new one did look more realistic. As far as our perception goes of what a movie is supposed to look like. But in truth, none of them look more realistic. It's just that our perception has been altered. And our feelings desensitized. But the old one has something that the new one doesn't. It has this sense of terror. This... I don't know how to explain it, but just this brooding type of um, claustrophobia. It's one that I still haven't gotten over. Back in the 70s, there were plenty of exploitation films, and some of the films from the 70s are quite shocking. Even by today's standards, they are shocking. Obviously, now things look more realistic, but things are not as shocking as they were in the 70s. And the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one such example. The director, Tobe Hooper, meant this as a documented type of experience to make it realistic. To make it seem like this is something that really happened. Now, in truth, this story did not really happen. Now, at the beginning, there is a brief message stating that the Texas Chainsaw Massacre really did happen. And, of course, audiences bought it. Even the fact that it sometimes says inspired by true events. But notice it says inspired by true events. Inspired doesn't always mean that it really happened. It means that the true events inspired the story that is about to happen. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre does come from one notorious serial killer. That notorious serial killer is actually here in Wisconsin, so close to home, which is where I'm from, Wisconsin, and which is where I'm residing now as I do this podcast. And that just sends chivers down my spine thinking about that, thinking about the fact that there was such a deviant um How would I say this? Uh, uh, such a... Um, I don't know the right words for it at this moment, but that killer was just... He sent chills down my spine. And that killer's name was Ed Gain. Now, Ed Gain killed women. And he would take their flesh... And use it to make things like lampshades 
or bowls or certain items. And the authorities found this when they entered his residence on discovering what he had done to one woman. They found a woman tied up from her ankles like a deer who had just been killed. And that's what led them to search his house for other victims who had recently disappeared. Now, Ed Gain was thought to be mad, insane. And he's one of the few serial killers who escaped a prison sentence and who spent the rest of his days in a mental asylum. And it is said, according to statements, that he really did wear the flesh of those women. Uh, Does that ring a bell? Does anyone remember Silence of the Lambs? Where the guy dresses up in a woman's hide? Well, that's what Ed Gain did it. Now, some people will argue the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is real. It's real. I got proof. I'll find proof. And what they'll do is they'll dig something up and they'll say, here, here's the story of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And they'll bring you a similar story. And I'm like, come on. That's not the same as the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They're two different stories. So now that I got all this away out of the way, what's what's a story about? What makes it so uh, compelling? So basically, it's about five young people who go to a site where there's been reported grave robbings, and of course, they end up going into an isolated area out in God knows who. God knows where. Um, And they find a house, which belongs to one of their relatives. And one of them goes for a walk. Now, the story is very slow at first. It was a typical exploitation film of the 70s. And these films were kind of slow moving. And they took a while to build up. But by the time it does build up, the tension is so high that it doesn't end. It just keeps terrorizing us. So two of these kids go for a swim. Then one of them finds a place where they see generators running. So they decide to go into the house. The one guy does the girl stays outside on a on a swing, rocking. So the guy goes in, and he walks across the hall. And as soon as he gets to the end of the hall, he stumbles. Now this scene here has always just really terrified me. Because we're really not expecting what comes next. And suddenly this guy with a leather face, comes out, whams him in the head, knocks him to the floor, and we see him on the floor twitching. Almost like 
when we see a chicken with its head cut off. Now, I watched some of the special features on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and one of those special, special features, Tobe Hooper mentions that when the nerve is hit in a certain way, the body will twitch like this. And this just really made me shudder to think that this looks so real. And that's our first introduction to Leatherface. And we, as the audience, are just shocked. Now, the new movie attempted to do the, the same thing, but it didn't have the same effect as the old one, did it? The old one just makes me shudder. And then, of course, the story follows that the other five kids end up getting slaughtered. But we really have to give it to the final girl. The final girl who is probably one of the forgotten final girls in horror history. And I really felt bad for her because she really was a victim in the story, the way the story treated her. But in general, the setting of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was a very rough experience, not just on her, but on all the actors. The Texas heat was overwhelming. Um, some of the actors were wearing the same outfits for several days. Gunnar Hanser, Hansen was an example. Um, that He actually smelled after several days because they wouldn't allow him to wash the suit because they said it would shrink and it wouldn't look right on him. And of course, the setting didn't smell too well either because there was actual bones that were used in the film. And the heat didn't help much either. That made everything smell awful. In fact, some of the actors in the film felt sick after acting in the film. Now, as for the final girl, whom I discussed before, at the end of the film, when we see her limping, when we see her forehead blood-covered, this was actually real. Now, not that the director did this on, on purpose or intended to do it on purpose, but the fact that the hammer actually slipped, hit her in the head, and split her head. And then when she jumped out of the window, she actually hurt her ankle jumping out of the window. She was So she was actually in pain. So you really have to give her a lot of credit. And it was so sad that she was forgotten for her contribution to this horror film. And of course, she does get away, obviously. Because that's what happens in all horror movies with the final girl. The final girl gets away. But the atmosphere of this film is one that's not forgotten. It's not something that's easily forgotten. Nor is it something that will ever 
be forgotten. When I look at this movie, it was one of the first R-rated films that I was allowed to watch by my mom. She wouldn't even let us watch PG-13 movies sometimes because of the racy or sexual content. Well, I was 18 at the time, and it was one of the first films I watched when I turned 18. The first R-rated film, anyway. Now, not the first R-rated film I watched ever, but the first R-rated film I was allowed to watch in my mom's presence. Because before that, I watched plenty of R-rated films at my grandma's house, and I probably mentioned this in previous weeks when I watched films like Jean-Claude Van Damme. Um, now, horror, as far as horror goes, horror was something that is deep down in my heart. It had been instilled in me when I was very young, probably six or seven. I recall my grandparents watching a movie called Pet Cemetery, a Stephen King movie. And I can never forget the scene when Fred Wynn goes upstairs to look underneath the bed and the creepy little kid in there creepy little bastard, uh, takes a knife and cuts his heel. Now, watching the knife go through his heel, that <clears throat> every time I watch that, it makes me shudder. If I watch that now, I probably wouldn't shudder so much, but I still shudder watching it now because I remember that so vividly in my childhood. And not just that part of it, but the way the dead people that came back from the dead looked in there. That just really disturbed me. And I think that there's like a psychological uh, thing with that. Um, I've heard stories about how when people look at porn, the reason they look at porn is because in their childhood somewhere, there was a porn image that influenced their porn watching. And the same is true of drugs. The way that people became addicted to drugs was because somebody influenced them in some small way. An example is a Japanese film when one of the characters were jacked up with high doses of heroin. And then suddenly they became addicted to it and they had to keep having it. Um, the Japanese are weird though. And I'm not really talking about the Japanese today, but I will some week and about their weirdness. Um... But today I'm focusing on this movie, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and what it's all about. And just how much this really inspired me. How much it moved me. How much it compelled me. And how much it just keeps me shocked. Um, now the director... Tobe Hooper, who is mostly forgotten in today's world, is remembered by small audiences, by audiences who remember those horror films. Now, since the film is so old, people who watched it are probably in their 60s by now. 
And I'm sure that many of them don't even remember watching it anymore. But there are others who still honor those greats. And they still remember Tobe Hooper and the contribution he gave to the horror genre. Now, Tobe Hooper wasn't a horror filmmaker. He was a film student. And one day he decided to make this film. He didn't intend for this film to be shocking. He didn't intend the film to be rated R. He just wanted to make a film. And it wasn't meant to be an exploitation film either. It was one of the few films that wasn't intended to be what people have made it to be. And since then, Tobe Hooper has been a filmmaker in the horror genre. And that's what he's always been categorized as. For me, I think he could have been something greater. With the way that he made the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Tobe Hooper could have been so much more. But his scope became limited by the fact that people seen him primarily as a horror filmmaker. And when he went to Hollywood, that's all he made. Horror films. Horror film after horror film after horror film until he just seemed to fade away. Like in the 70s and the 80s, he made plenty of films. And after that, I don't know if he even exists where he's at. I'm sure he's still there somewhere um, in certain circles. He's still admired by people who respect the film and look at the film as if it is a trophy. Um, so that is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I'm sure there's stuff that I didn't mention here that could have been mentioned about it. Um, and I talked about my memories with it, the vivid memories that it implanted in my imagination and the stories that inspired in me, the real facts behind it, what the story is about, the claustrophobia that's instilled in the story, and so much more. This horror film really is a valuable film. It's a landmark. It's a groundbreaking film. And while it was heavily criticized at the time of its release, it really brought something new to the genre. And not only to the genre, but to the filmmaking world as a whole. And by today's standards, it's not as gory, not as violent, and not as shocking as some of the films that can be made today, but it still is shocking, and it's shocking in a way that has really left a lasting impact on those of us who have viewed it and have never forgotten it. Again, I'm Charles Romero, um, and I invite you to check out my website, HappySaturdays.com. Uh, the address is actually um, on my 
page. You'll find it there. So you can go to that website, check out my posts, and feel free to um, engage in any area. Feel free to contact me. Feel free to follow me. And you know the drill. Have a great day. And I hope that this episode has really got you thinking.